better call somebody. I'm back, baby. Oh. What? 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 Can I break on my lord? Four out of five top Hollywood movie stars use moment, moment, moment of clarity. Oh, what's happening, everybody? How you doing today? You are tuned in to another eclectic episode of Moment of Clarity right here on the Promise Life Network. And boy, do we have something to talk about today. I have finally decided, I have finally decided to sit down and talk about what everybody else has been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks since... Bruce slash Caitlin came out of the treasure chest. It's time to talk about homosexuality. And uh, today, actually, I'm going to have a guest with me. I'm going to bring him on here in a few minutes. His name is David Taylor, and he is a licensed mental health counselor and the co-founder of Mend Our Marriage. And we'll be talking to him a little bit about how homosexuality is how people are affected into homosexuality and how homosexuality affects people out of homosexuality. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Actually, I don't even know if that's what he's going to talk about. I just made that up. So we'll see oh, okay. <laughs> whether that's what he's going to talk is about. Is he at least going to talk about homosexuality? Yes, he will be talking about okay. something about homosexuality. He's not expecting to talk about sports or no, something? No, he's not. Okay. We're not going to be talking about sports. Although, well, you can't really talk about sports right now because it's baseball season and nobody cares. <laughs> what about <laughs> soccer? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Women's World Cup. Woohoo. Okay. So, um, first, let me tell you about SiteGeeks. SiteGeeks.com. Make sure your site is doing exactly what it's meant to do. Go to SiteGeeks.com and boost your website's appeal in just 24 hours. Get their 77-point inspection that's based on the four essentials of web development, first impression, site functionality, site flow, and overall feel. Visit SiteGeeks.com. That's S-I-T-E-G-E-E-K-Z. SiteGeeks.com because nothing is more important than your site. So, homosexuality. The reason I wanted to finally tackle this issue is because my friends have been talking to me and they've been getting me all up in arms, <clears throat> Mike, <clears throat> David, and a couple other people, and they've been getting me all, you Need know. a cough drop? <laughs> no, I'm good. Okay, just checking. <laughs> they've been getting me all up in arms talking about homosexuality, and I have probably a different take than I don't want to say anybody that you've heard from yet, but my take is not like everybody else's take. Yes, I understand that homosexuality is a sin. Not only do I understand it, I also believe and agree that homosexuality is a sin. And I also understand that homosexuality is a sin, just like divorce is a sin, and just like lying is a sin, and just like adultery is a sin, and just like fornication is a sin, and just like there's so many other sins out there as well. So I look at this not from the, oh, it's a sin standpoint, and we have to stand up for uh, marriage values, because I'm not in the mood to stand up for marriage and the definition of marriage and the right to marry and all that kind of stuff. I understand what the Supreme Court decided. Uh, I know a lot of people want to kind of twist the reason that the that the Supreme Court made their decision, but 
If you look at what the Supreme Court decided and why they said they made the decision, it's very logical and it's very simple. They decided that because marriage is a legalized right in America and the X amendment. Come on, Mike. Tell me what amendment it was. Oh, geez. The 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment. Thank you very much. The 14th Amendment declares that if you afford a legalized right to one segment of the population, then that legalized right must be afforded to all segments of the population. They therefore declared that marriage should be afforded to those who are of the same sex. End of conversation. Very logical deduction. If these people get to get married and it's the law that says they get to get married, then according to equal rights, these people should be able to get married as well. And that's not even my real issue either, because I don't necessarily care if you want to get married if you are homosexual. Now, I have heard the other argument that states that the real problem is not even a governmental issue problem. It is more of a corporate entity problem. And that was provided to me by my friend Jason Hoyt, who thinks way too hard sometimes, but he's good at it. (laughs) But he was talking about how uh, homosexuality in itself is not the problem, but the problem was people were in the hospital and they wanted to see the person that they loved after hours. And you couldn't do that unless you were a family member or you were married or so on and so forth. And he pointed out that that was a policy issue with the hospital. That is not a legal governmental problem. Same thing with, and then he started talking about taxes and and tax law, and I stopped listening. But anyway, (laughs) um, the idea that homosexual marriage or gay marriage, or as my homosexual friends would like me to call it, marriage (laughs) is not just between a man and a woman, but between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. That's not what really got me excited yesterday. What got me excited was the idea that we are spending so much time talking about homosexuality and we're spending so much time talking about gay marriage. That's what got me hyped up. That's what got me upset. When I tell you when I was at lunch yesterday, I was hyped up, ready to get on the radio. I was like, we got to go a day early. And I was like, no, I can't go a day early. I was like, no, I got to get on the radio right now and talk about this. And I was like, no, Stefan, calm down, cool off, you know, have a nice focused radio show. Don't just get on there and start ranting and screaming and raving and stuff. Man, I knew you got into debates, but I didn't know you got into them with yourself. (laughs) All the time. Apparently, yeah. All the time. Makes sense, though. (laughs) That's how good I am at debating. Um, And I win. I always win when I debate myself. I get it. (laughs) But... So what really shocked me, though, when I sat down and thought about it is how much effort and energy and and money and time and everything that we are throwing at the gay marriage issue and the homosexual marriage issue. And I just really think we can much better use that time. Not only that, I really think that we kind of triggered this on our own. Like we helped cause the problem to become as huge as it is. Because as soon as people started trying to fight for their rights, we came with the big boot and stepped down and said, no, and we're gonna put all of our legal and political and religious and moral 
effort and energy and collateral into this issue. We abandoned everything else. We forgot about the poor people. We forgot about the hope, the homeless people, the hurting people. We forgot about those that were, you know, are struggling with mental illness. We forgot about those that are in the jails. We forgot about those that are looking to rehabilitate their lives. We forgot about those that just completely don't know Jesus. And we focused everything we had. Now, when you say we, who are you talking about? Christians. Okay, just checking. Well, yeah, because I don't like to classify myself. And so y'all, that's what I should have said. Y'all forgot about everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and we focused all of our energy and all of our effort and all of our collateral, all of our collateral on this one issue. And I think that was the biggest mistake that we made from the very beginning. And so here to tell me how wrong I am is my friend David Taylor. David is a licensed mental health counselor and the co-founder of MendOurMarriage.com. Check it out, David Taylor. David, how you doing today? <laughs> I'm well. How are you doing? Man? I'm fantastic. So <laughs> tell me, like, you know, you and I, we have conversations from, from time to time. Tell me exactly what you believe the, the, the real issue is when it comes to homosexual marriage and the homosexual mm. agenda and just homosexuality in general. That's a loaded question. So I know that's why you know, I asked it. Sounds like you you, go, you want to pin me to the wall with this one. So <laughs> you know my motto is we got to ask the right question. Right. <laughs> um, so let's let's take let's take one of those. So my my view on this whole concept of homosexual marriage and what it's doing for culture for society why it's so important of an issue. Um, real quick, I'll, I'll real quick, by, David, I'll do you have a, doing, huh? do you have us on speaker? Uh, no, okay. I don't. It sounded like you were on speakerphone there for a second. Does it sound like I got you on speaker? A little bit, but it's okay. Go ahead. Tell, tell, tell us what you think. How about now? You sound fantastic. Okay, thank you. My wife <laughs> tells me that, and I, you know, makes me feel good. But anyway, um, so here, here's the thing. I was, I was doing a lot of pondering about this, and, you know, we had conversations about this already. Um, and in some areas, you and I, we differ, right? We have different opinions. Yes. I believe that truth is often found in the tension between two opposing beliefs. So I, I still believe that there's something bigger at stake here. Um, and I believe that's why this issue is such a prominent issue. Um, because for one, the church has been kind of, they have stripped themselves of their own power because they're, of their divisiveness. They're I'm so sorry. Divided. Can you, can you that, say that one more time for me? The, the church has stripped themselves of their own power. Yes, they have. I agree with you because completely. Because they're so divided. Yes. And I believe that it's almost like the little kid who was in elementary school, if this was you, I apologize, but the little kid who was in elementary school who was bullied, and so he goes and picks on his little kid brother or steps on ants, um, I believe that's how the church is right now. And they're trying to find issues that will empower them, Yes. Because they don't necessarily feel empowered. You know what? That's a very interesting perspective because I would agree with you. I don't believe the church in itself feels empowered. I don't believe they feel like they have a good bead on things or a good grasp yeah. on what's going on in society today. And so it yeah. would make sense that they would find an issue to grapple onto to help them feel like, okay, now we got a little bit of control back or we've got, you know, we've got some focus or we've got whatever. Or we have a reason to be indignant or frustrated or angry or to be outspoken. We now have a reason to say something. Yes. Um, and I think if that's the case, then, it's, then the church has it backwards. 
um, and they're already fighting an uphill battle. And I believe that that's why it's so such a big issue because the church is trying to find its sea legs, and it's steady getting knocked out by the top one percent. And yeah. it's, it's just not it's not going to work. So, what would be the better avenue for the church to pursue? Okay, here's the thing, and this is this is my biggest qualm with the church. Okay, it's so divided. It's so many different heads. It's so many different renditions of the truth. So many different versions. And, okay, so there's a scripture, right, that says a house divided against itself can't stand. It'll fall. Correct. So then why do we expect that a church, the church, the organization of church, that's still divided against itself, how do we expect it to, to stand against anything? If we can't even agree on what's truth, what's true truth, what's right, what's wrong, what's culture, if we, if we can't even agree on our position, on our role, in society, in culture, how can we truly stand against oppositions like this and other issues that go on? I think you're absolutely right. I think, I, I honestly believe that's one of the main problems that has faced Christianity, specifically in America, yeah. for probably the past 20 years, yeah. is that division that and it's funny because nobody wants to talk about the division everybody wants to <laughs> fake like we're all in this together when we're not really all in this together everybody yeah. has different beliefs about everything there are many christians out there many who absolutely don't believe having sex before you get married is a sin mm -hmm. there are many christians out there that absolutely don't believe stealing something is a sin as long as you need it Mm -hmm. You know, and that's and like this is not some small segment of the population. I would, oh, no. I would, I mean, I if I had to throw out an official guesstimate, you know how official my statistics are. If I had <laughs> to throw out an official statistic, I would say seventy percent of the church is participating in premarital sex right now. Seventy mm -hmm. percent of the unmarried church is participating in premarital sex right now. I did it. I did it. it I did too. <laughs> you know but okay so let me tell you something deeper oh we gotta take a break let me, let's go a step further let's really dig deep because that's what I like to do that's my special give me one second what, give me one second David we gotta take a break uh, we will come back in just a moment you are listening to and I, I love that I got to cut you off right there because that's the real spot right there now, now everybody's got to listen and find out what he wanted to say we're going to dig deep with David Taylor in just a minute you're listening to Moment of Clarity right here on the Promise Life Network my name is Stefan G we'll be back in a second Life Network. My name is Stefan G. You are tuned in to another eclectic episode. We are talking about gay marriage, homosexuality uh, in general, and we're really kind of talking about the church and Christianity and how we've kind of screwed everything up. 
and I've got David Taylor on the line. David Taylor is the is a licensed mental health counselor and co-founder of MendOurMarriage.com. David, you were just about to go deep with us. Let's go deep. Tell me what's deeper. Tell me right, what's so truer. All right, so here's the thing. I, I, I was thinking about this, and I noticed that the church as an organization, and uh, when I say the church, I'm lumping all Christians together, even though I know that's not an accurate statement. So forgive right. me, guys, who don't qualify for what I'm about to say. But most people do. And I know I did when early on, and even midway in my Christian journey, as if I'm that old now. But <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. So I found that most Christians are inwardly frustrated with the overall quality of their religious and spiritual experience. Oh, goodness. Here we go. Come on, David. And, <laughs> and they don't talk about it. I need to get they my tambourine. They don't much about it, but you see it in their life and you see it in their relationships with other people who look different than them. So, okay, you got scriptures that say you're supposed to be, supposed to be the head, not the tail, the, the lender, not the borrower. You know, you, you, you're supposed to, you know... Above and never your, beneath. Your God owns all the gold in the field, cattle in the field. You know, there's tons of scripture that talk about the inheritance that Christians have adopted or yes. identified with. Mm-hmm. But then they look at their own lives, and they look at the walls, the church, and they notice that the church every Sunday is struggling to pay its bills. People are struggling, they're in debt. They're not lending money, but they're borrowing money, and they're needing to borrow more. They're living check to check. They're struggling to have strong relationships with their family members. They're sick. They're overweight, right? And all of a sudden, they then have cognitive dissonance with their religious experience. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't say it. They don't talk about it. You won't hear them say it, but you'll notice that they'll become more frustrated when there's someone doing something different than what they're doing, right. appearing to enjoy their life exactly, or their experience. Christians aren't enjoying being Christians. No. Oh, my God. Jesus. No, we are not. And I can definitively say we because there's been many years that I have not enjoyed being a Christian. You and I had this conversation a couple weeks ago, and I was telling you, oh, God's dragging me back in, and I'm kicking and screaming because I don't want to be a Christian. It's boring, and it's corny, and it drives me crazy. And it's yeah. not, and just like you said, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be what we are, what we read that Christianity is supposed to be and what we experience that Christianity is are two diametrically different systems Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. we experience that christianity is you know struggle and turmoil and trauma and trial and so on and so forth and we don't get to experience the joy and the abundance and the happiness and the bountiful beautiful you know love and care and all of those things that are defined are are what christianity is defined for us in the book Mm -hmm. we don't get to experience those parts yeah yeah so we'll go to church right? We'll get riled up because that's what you have to do, get emotionally riled up to get, you know, positioned to hear, to receive the word. Right. You'll sing, sing songs like I am a conqueror, you know, or, you know. <laughs> you don't even know that song. The Lord. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> put ourselves in position to really empower ourselves, or at least, you know, on the surface, empower ourselves, because inwardly we need that. Inwardly we're struggling and desperate. We're, most of us, and I can say most of us struggle to even hear what God is saying. Oh, yes. And so 
because we struggle to hear what God is saying, we don't know what he's saying. And when we don't know what he's saying, we have to guesstimate what he's saying. That's a clinical term, by the way. Guesstimate, yeah. <laughs> we, we, have to, we have to now fabricate what God is saying. And so you, go, you can go to any church, and you can, there's about two on every block, especially here in Florida. The oh, Bible gosh, Bible. yes. And they'll say something different about what God is saying in the moment. You go to any service at the beginning of the new year, you know how they have Oh, a, you got to have a, service. yeah, you got to have a slogan that rhymes. There's a slogan. And it's because people are desperate and they're searching for truth. They're searching for what God is saying. And so this homosexual agenda, I call it agenda, you don't like that label, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we agree that it's a spiritual agenda. Right. Right. Um, but it's because people are lost. People are longing for truth. And so it's easy to redefine what love is if we can't accurately, if the people who are supposed to be labeled by love, Christians, right? Right. We're we're supposed to be labeled by the love of God, but if we can't even demonstrate, accurately demonstrate what love looks like, then how can we expect other people to truly define love? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, because I was even talking to Mike about this the other day, and I was telling him, I was like, you know, it's amazing how... The, it's amazing how homosexuals stole our hashtag. Love wins is should be a Christian hashtag. That should not be the homosexual hashtag. That should be the hashtag for all of Christianity at all time in all eternity should be love wins. But we've allowed them to, and I was also talking about how they throw these great, big, giant, lavish parades, right, to celebrate their homosexuality. What are they celebrating? They're simply mm-hmm. celebrating the difference in the way they have sex. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're not, ce- they're not celebrating love. They can claim they're celebrating love, but homosexuality is nothing but a difference in the way that you have sex. It is not about love. It is about sexual attraction. You are se- Because you don't fall in love with someone before you're attracted to them. That's not the yeah. way it works. So it's not yeah. about love at all. It's about yeah. sexual attraction. I am sexually attracted to somebody who has a penis like I do. Now, I'm not, but that's what they're saying. <laughs> I am sexually attracted to somebody who has a penis like I do. Well, maybe yeah. not like I do. But anyway. Okay. <laughs> and like that is that with a deeper voice. Like, <laughs> like that makes it bigger. <laughs> but anyway, that's what the whole thing is about. And we've allowed yeah. them to make sexual attraction equal to love. We've and allowed that to happen because we're not demonstrating love. Oh my gosh. And so well, this is what baffles me. Because I agree 100% with what you just said about the redefinition of love. This, to me, it's deeper than the redefinition of marriage. You go on your news feed on Facebook, you'll see love businesses now with the rainbow and all that, talking about love wins. Because now we, I, I say we, the Christians, have allowed culture to define what love is. And that's why most Christians are frustrated, because they can't get a hold, they can't get a grip on positioning themselves to change anything. We can't change legislation. We can't move laws and policies. Unfortunately, so, okay, so let, let's, go, let's go even further. Let's, get, let's talk history here. So mm-hmm. the church, right, the, that term, that phrase, that word church, it's not in the Bible. The, the actual word for church is ecclesia, right? Uh-oh. All right, Pastor. And, oh, God. <laughs> and so ecclesia, that phrase, even if you Google it now, Wikipedia, Ecclesia was, was designed, 
right? And, and Jesus said, you know, the uh, the gates of hell should not prevail against the walls of the ecclesia. What he was saying is that the ecclesia was designed to be a governing body. So the ecclesia was a court of individuals who met, sat around, and determined what was right and what was wrong, policy-wise, governing-wise, culturally-wise, and they also protected. So they, they served as a council right. to determine what culture looked like. Right. That's, that's the ecclesia. Now, you fast forward 2,000 plus years and you look at the ecclesia, i.e. the church, and it does nothing like it was designed to do. Oh, absolutely nothing. In fact, it fights. In fact, instead of defining what those things are and being yeah. forerunners in those changes, they yeah. are diametrically opposed to all of those changes and everything that is moving forward. And it's, it's like something I put on Facebook the other day. I said, dear church, the reason you can't get me and people of my age to come through those doors is because you want us to do everything your way. And we have learned that your way does not work. If you would open your mind, preach the gospel, and be open to culture and change, then maybe you can get us back into your doors. Maybe. Because you are not defining anything. You are playing prevent defense. That's all you're doing. And everybody knows prevent defense does not work. Everybody knows. Ask the, yeah. ask the Tampa Bay Bucks. They know. Prevent <laughs> defense. That was a stab at Mike. Pre- yeah, I know. <laughs> prevent defense does not work. And instead of playing offense, and instead of drawing up new plays and instead of creating a new offense and a new way to march down the field, um, we're stuck playing prevent defense. Prevent dude, defense. Let me show, and they're let me, scoring let me, all over us. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so years ago when I still lived in Indiana, I attended a church. And I'm sorry if anybody who attends there hears this, but it's the truth. And you remember that whole girls gone wild phase? I sure do. Crazy. Okay, so this was like, you know, maybe eight years ago, nine years ago. But anyway, so I attended the church, and we we got wind that Girls Gone Wild was coming to Muncie, Indiana. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Ball State University. And so what we did, we put on our red shirts, we got our Jesus flag, and we stood across the street and just waved our Jesus flag and, and yelled <laughs> certain scriptures and sung certain songs. That was the God, most that's defensive posture that you can be in. <laughs> and guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. No change, no rededications, no nothing. They just went on about their business. Sure, we may have condemned them a little bit, but condemning someone never changes their heart. Never, ever, ever. No. And scripturally speaking, it's not the justice or the wrath of God that leads to repentance. It's his grace. That's right. And unfortunately, and this is what I was about to say earlier, if Jesus lived, okay, okay, he lives in us, okay, so don't get me wrong, but if Jesus, the Jesus, Yahshua, Christ in flesh, if he was on earth today walking, this would not have happened. Because his approach would have been completely different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what we do is we ostracize individuals who choose a different sexual orientation. Yes. We push them away. And we say they're condemned to hell. All the while, we take our gluttony, greedy, selfish Christian selves to church and feel <laughs> self-justified because we're singing three fast songs and two songs, so slow songs. So, what would Jesus? What would Jesus's approach be today? Mm, mm, that's a good question. 
So let's look at the lady who. You're going to get me to try to answer that question. Adultery. <laughs> okay. Okay, granted, it wasn't homosexuality, but adultery, homosexuality, it's, it, at its root, it's still lust, right? Mm-hmm. So you take a woman who was, you know, on the ground, a bunch of guys in front of her, old and young, and they, were, they had rocks in their hands, right? It actually happened. Had rocks in their hands. Now you have this guy, Jesus. He's there with them. Everybody is, you know, yelling, and they're about to stone her. And what Jesus does is he walks up in front of her, kneels down, draws a line in the dirt between them and her. And then he turns to the guys, and he says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop the stones. And now Jesus is surrounded by all of these stones. The lady is still on the ground, in front of the dirt, in front of the line. He is without sin. So he has a legitimate, uh, legitimate right to pick up all of those stones and go to business, stoning her. <laughs> yeah. in, instead of stoning, so instead of extending a stone, he extends his hand. And I believe it's that gesture of extending his hand and accepting her, yes. showing, showing her grace and saying, going sin no more, that caused her to be one of his most loyal followers. And I believe we miss that story because we think it's about people having no sin. And if you, if, so if you, if you got sin in your life, you, sh- you shouldn't be saying Shouldn't nothing. be judging and anybody I, else, yeah. Yeah, and I say the story is deeper. It's about extending something different than the stone. But you know what, David? You know what the issue is? We have been so busy with stones in our hands for so many Mm. years, we don't even know what extending our hand looks like. Mm. We don't even know what that looks like anymore, especially to this segment of the population, to the homosexual segment of the population. We wouldn't even know how to start to extend our hand because the first thing we're going to do is try to extend our hand to get them to come into the church so that we can we can get that devil out of them, you know, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and purge that sin from their life. And, mm-hmm. and we, we don't even know how to extend our hand any longer. We don't oh. even know how to approach people who are, who truly want to be saved from them from their sin without condemning yeah. them because we haven't done it in so many years. All we've done is either thrown a stone or justified our own sin. All right. I have another mm-hmm. question. <laughs> how do we extend that hand then? I, I don't know. Because, well, this is the thing. You were right that we need to extend our hand and be graceful, and grace is what saves. But nowadays, if someone said, now go sin no more to a homosexual, they will call you a hater because you said homosexuality is a sin. Mm-hmm. So how do you address that problem? Well, I- You know, Mike, I like that question because, to me, it's a positional issue. I think that the people that are extending hands really intuitively have no right to extend their hands. See, the difference between Jesus and, let's say, one of his most loyal followers, you know, we can take Peter or someone, the difference between those two were, for instance, when Jesus was getting arrested, right, some say it was Peter who cut off one of the soldiers' ears. And so Peter became aggressive when, you know, Christianity or Jesus was attacked. 
And actually, I, I shouldn't have said that because Jesus wasn't a Christian. So let me take that away. We, we talked about that before. See, David, why you got to do that on my show? Why you got to do that on my show? Now I'm going to get emails and Facebook <laughs> notifications. Well, it's just <laughs> semantics, really. Hey, think about it. He wasn't a Christian. He, Jesus was not a Christian. He was Christ, so he can't yeah. be like Christ if he is Christ. <laughs> yeah, and Christian, Christian was a derogatory term labeled to those who followed Jesus. It meant Christ-like. It meant those who looked like him. Um, but he, I mean, yeah, of course, he couldn't, you know, be Christian. But anyway, um, he was a Jew. That's what Jesus was. He was a Jew. Which we're going to go there because people will completely lose their bananas on yeah. that one. But yeah. um, so Peter cuts off the soldier's ear. You know, he gets aggressive. But when Jesus is arrested and they nail him to the cross and they, you know, beat him and all that, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think, Mike, to answer your question, it's a hard position. It's, it's where your heart is at. I believe Jesus had a heart of compassion. And when he looked at these people, he saw that they were lost. And that caused him to love deeper. The, the problem with Christians today, most Christians today, is that when we see lost people, we don't have that same level of compassion, so we can't extend our hands. Right. So, so, so that's why, Stefan, when you said, I don't even know what that looks like, it's because most Christians lack the true compassion to truly extend their hands. And so, because when we extend our hands, it's usually to bring them into condemnation. Yeah. To say, look at your sin. Go and sin no more. Jesus you're, didn't do that. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's yeah. that's one of the reasons I wrote the book that I wrote, Everyone Falls. You can go check it out. Go to thestephang.com, T-H-E-S-T-E-F-A-N-G.com. You can purchase the book there. But it's one of the reasons I wrote Everyone Falls because I... I experienced that. I experienced being in sin and I experienced having that ex- having that condemnation all over me. And I experienced not having the love and not knowing where the love was coming from. And I knew that there were other people out there like that that were going through their own sin, whatever that sin was, that needed somebody to tell them, look, everybody has this problem. Please don't feel like you're the only one because we do walk through Christianity often feeling like I'm the only one going through this because everybody else has got this fake smile on and everybody else has got their fake families and their fake worship and their fake praise and they're not being real about who they are. I was going to say too, it's interesting when you talk about that because a lot of people usually know I'm a Christian by my lifestyle or whatever, but they're always... I don't know they're expecting me to condemn them. Yeah, a oh, lot yeah. of times, and then when I don't, they're shocked by it. They know I don't agree with their lifestyle, mm-hmm. but and they don't expect me to. But they're expecting me to condemn them, and I don't. They're often surprised by that. And I talk to a lot of people who say, "Well, I don't go to church because uh, lightning will strike me dead. I'm yeah. too much of a sinner," <laughs> yeah. and it mix it misses the point of. Going, going to, to church. church. Yeah. It and goes. I you know, I want people to go to church because I want them to have the truth that I have. Like, don't you see how great this is? Don't yeah. you want it? Yeah. But uh, yeah. you're right that people, and it's probably the result of the church, um, they expect to be condemned instead of being loved and being shown compassion. It's interesting. Well, it's because we've spent so much time pointing fingers. And I think this the, the homosexuality issue is just a great example of us pointing fingers because we yeah. have, like I said, we put all our collateral into this issue. 
we put all our political collateral into this. We put all our religious collateral into this. We made sure every pastor was talking about it. We made sure every conservative politician was talking about it. We made sure every Christian stood up and and when all of the profiles on Facebook went rainbow, then all the Christian profiles on Facebook went red with a cross because we had to stand up and point a finger and say, no, you are wrong. Instead of just loving that individual person mm-hmm. and we have mm-hmm. no capacity to understand and recognize the individual person anymore that there's an individual person whether there's an individual gay person right now who is struggling in an area that doesn't have anything to do with their homosexuality that you can yeah. reach them in being christ-like and you can reach them in that area of struggle, whether it's their finances, whether it's their family, they don't talk to their mother anymore or their uncle, or whether it's, you know, they don't know what they're going to do with their career or they have low self-esteem or whatever that issue is. There is a struggle that they are going through that has nothing to do with the fact that they want to put a penis in a man's butt completely out of that. They are struggling. And there is a place there that you can reach them without having to convert them into a heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and here's, a, here's another angle or another avenue. When you talked about uh, extending yourself and, you know, individuals who have a different sexual orientation, whether gay, homosexual, or not, most of them are ostracized, and so they cling together. One of the things that Jesus did was he became family to all people. So there was one time when he was teaching in a building in a room somewhere, and, you know, some of his Family members, blood family members came to the door and said, hey, your mother and your sister are out there. And he said, you're my mother, you're my sister, you're my brother. And when people say that, they just read it in Sunday school, they yep. don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. But he was, just, he, was, he, was, he was showing something completely different that most people don't understand. And I believe that's why Christians, we ostracize each other. We ostracize other people who aren't Christians. And instead of extending ourselves and saying, we are all the same, right? We, we are all from God. And we are family, and my job is to show you a better way. That's why they, Jesus' group used to be called The Way. Yes. Because he was demonstrating something different. But it, it gets, it, we, can, we, can, we can go there all day. I mean, we can just, oof. Yeah, we Let really can. Boil a little bit. But that's, <laughs> to me, that's what the agenda is all about. It's, we, like you said earlier, we've made it the issue. We've catapulted it up into the main thing that we need to talk and pray about. Yeah. America is going to be destroyed, and the end of the world is coming because of X, Y, and Z. We, oh, absolutely. You know, we, we have this fear that now because someone else made rules that we didn't make, the world is going to explode. We, you're absolutely we right. We determine what happens next. And I would we love... speak about it like that. I would love to see more people stand up and be authentic and talk about who they really are and... Because I believe being authentic is what helps you to understand the struggle of others. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like for me, anybody who's ever listened to my show knows that my struggle is with sexual sin. I am Mm -hmm. horny. Okay. Just that's just the way it is. I love big butts and I cannot lie. Okay. And (laughs) it's just the way it is. But me being able to be authentic about that and tell people, listen, this is who I am and this is what I struggle with and this is the thorn in my side and this is what I have to pray about and this is what I have to focus on and make sure that my eyes are looking in the right direction and be careful who I talk to and all that kind of stuff, all the little tools that we use in order to try to develop ourselves in this thing we call Christianity. 
I believe it's doing that that helps people to say, you know what, I got one of those too. Mm-hmm. And mine not might not be exactly like his is, but if he's working on his, then I can work on mine because and the more and then we can all talk about what's wrong with us and we can all get better. Because yeah. when we're not talking about it, if I go to the doctor and the doctor's like, What's wrong? and I'm like, Nothing, he's like, Well, why are you here? Just because I wanted to visit you, you know. But he's like, But I can tell like your skin's sliding off the side of your face. What's wrong? Ah, no, I'm good. Everything's cool. It's pointless to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like Mike, Mike said, I would rather more people go into the sanctuary to experience that love and that care and that community. But that's not where that's not what's there. That's not. Oh, my God. I can't even oh. I don't even want to start the church talk, Mike. You're going to get me started on the church talk. That's well, not what's in the church. Up. You I, have to keep my soapbox back out. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. That's not within the church. I think there's a part of me that thinks there's another problem, though, and that's. Maybe maybe it's the church's fault. That's we. I don't think we really know what love is anymore. Oh no! Because we don't know what love is anymore. Mm, and you were mentioning yeah. that earlier because the church hasn't defined it and the culture is defining it. And the problem is, is when you reach out to someone a lot of time and try to help them and lead them on a better path, you're doing. You know, sometimes love is telling them the hard truth that they need to hear that they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. our culture seems to have defined it that that's not love. No. That that's because hatred. If you just t- criticize or say, hey, you're on the wrong path, I'm trying to help you, that could, you know, you see that as love, but they don't see it as Right, love. because it's another area where we've allowed culture, and so- not even culture, society, to define what inherently belongs to us. Mm-hmm. And because society has defined love as acceptance. That's what it is. It's yeah, acceptance. exactly. If I love you, then I will accept everything about you without any, without breathing heavy, you know, (laughs) and and that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, that's deep. And it's, it's deeper than deep because that's to me the very fabric of what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to exemplify and exude and refract love everywhere it goes. It's supposed to look like love. And unfortunately, like you were saying, Mike, and also Stefan, it's, Culture has redefined it for us. They've stolen the rainbow. They've stolen love. I mean, what else? Yeah. Is <laughs> stolen the definition of marriage. But and then we sit back and gripe and complain and pray. Like exactly. praying is going to change it. Praying oh, is yeah. not going to change it. Praying is not going to change it at all. I heard a quote from one of my favorite uh, pastors of the few that I listened to. His name is Bill Johnson out uh, I Bethel out in Redding, California, and he says, "We don't pray to get the answer. We pray to become the answer." To me, that's the most empowering position to be in, and unfortunately, we sit back and do these prayer and fasting and altar calls to get answers. God, we need you. You know, we get riled up and sweating and spitting, and that doesn't (laughs) change anything. And God's sitting there looking like, dude, I I created you with every—I'm in you. I've given you the power. You're the one that's sitting back not trying to use it. Exactly. And and I think we are praying from a disempowered position, a very vulnerable, very insecure position. And as a result, we can't give love because our, we ourselves, like I said earlier, we are secretly frustrated with Christianity. And we, we won't admit it. Lo- what love looks like. What and, you and said reminds, sorry, what you said reminded me of that analogy of the guy in the, uh, stranded in the water. Have you guys heard it? Go ahead. Mm, yes. yes. The guy stranded in the water and a boat comes by and he prays that God helps him and the boat comes by and he says, do you need help? 
And the guy says, no, God will help me. Yeah. And then he goes away. And then another boat comes by and says, hey, do you need help? And he says, no, 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 God will help me. And then another boat comes by and does the same thing. And then he dies. He drowns, goes up to heaven, asks God, hey, why didn't you help me? And God's like, I sent you three boats. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly what you were saying. And, and it's like David said, instead of trying to become the answer, because that's what we're all supposed to do. We are all supposed to, and you know, my motto is everybody in the world has a purpose and it's my job to help the world find them. Mm-hmm. And I believe that everybody in this, everybody in this universe has a purpose in life. And if we can tap into what our purpose in life is and we can tap into what we're really here for, we will become the answer to somebody's problem. And we will yeah. become the answer to all of these faults that have befallen our world through sin. And yeah. if we can just tap into that and become the superhero that is really inside of us, Ooh. it would change everything. But we're not going to do that. But anyway, no. speaking about love, tell us a little bit about uh, Men Our Marriage, David. <clears throat> wow. Um, you know how earlier you were talking about being authentic to people? Yes. And it's that authenticity that changes. Um, that's what Mend Our Marriage is. It's, it's us, my wife and I, being authentic about our early marital struggles. Uh, my wife and I, we, you know, we've been married for seven years. And early on in our marriage, first couple of years of our marriage, we were literally on the brink of divorce. Um, and we were very vocal about our story now. But we pretty much talk about things that we've learned, <clears throat> the issues that we endured, and the lessons that we now incorporate to help keep our marriage thriving. And Mend Our Marriage is just that. It's, it's our brainchild. It's our baby. It's, it's the result of failure. And we just use that failure to help other marriages. So we're very, we're very blunt about what makes marriage work. <clears throat> we're very blunt about what makes marriage not work. And we, we have podcasts that comes out every week. We have, oh, I'm sorry, every other week blog posts. We have our, a site called Marriage with Muscle where we do couples fitness. My wife has a book called Motivated to Love. It would be a bestseller if we put it on Amazon, but it's exclusive to our site. <laughs> um, and then we have coaching that we provide. It's, we, we literally work with thousands and thousands and thousands of couples, and that's the beauty of what Mend Our Marriage is, and it's a humbling position to be in, but that's what Mend Our Marriage is in a nutshell. We, our job is to break the back of divorce. You know what? I think it's funny because I really believe with all this talk that we're talking about, a homosexual marriage, and we're talking about the church and the position of the church, so on and so forth, I really truly believe that if we could heal marriages— if we could keep marriages intact and thriving, if we could teach people that that's the crucible of love right there is the marriage. The marriage is the crucible of love. If you really want to know what love is, go get married and you'll find out whether you have the capacity to love or not. It will teach you every single time where your love fault is. And I really believe that if we would spend more time trying to heal marriages, that we would be able to heal so many more problems in this world today. Oh, my goodness. But anyway. Um, You you, you did that on purpose. I I sure did. Thank you, David, for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on board today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's Moment of Clarity. My name is Stefan G. We'll catch you next time.